Thanks for tuning in to The Oliver Manalise Show. I'm your host, Oliver Manalise. This is where we explore the defining moments, the challenges behind the triumphs, the breakdowns before the breakthroughs of purpose-driven leaders. On the show today, we have a very special guest. His name is Stephen Shedletsky. Stephen is the head of brand experience and igniter at Simon Sinek, Inc., the leadership organization behind Start With Why, and more recently, The Infinite Game. I initially met Stephen when he was delivering a talk in Toronto. I got to sit in the front row as he shared profound insights on how we as leaders could be better. He shared personal stories that brought a lot of us to tears and truly had a genuine conversation about the impact we can all make, not only from within our circles of influence, but the world. Just a bit about Stephen's role at Simon Sinek, Inc., Stephen supports the leaders and team members at Simon Sinek to live and embody the message they share from the inside of the company. Stephen ensures that the company's external communications, products, and partnerships reflect their most deeply held values and beliefs. As an igniter, he preaches, teaches, and engages with audiences, leaders, and organizations sharing and facilitating with content from the infinite game. Start with why. Leaders eat last. Find your why. And together is better. Ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to present to you my conversation with Stephen Shedletsky. Can you just say something quickly? Just want to make sure that you are creating those sound waves. This morning, I had rye toast for breakfast. And I decided not to put hemp seeds and chia seeds this this morning, though that's been a go-to. Interesting. You put the hemp seeds and chia seeds on the toast. Throw a little peanut butter action, a little jam, and then Ooh. sprinkle sprinkle the seeds. I like uh, I like a little avocado on the toast, and maybe some hemp seeds and some salt and pepper. Nice. That's delicious, man. Yeah, you know you're a hipster when. Oh Jesus. so we have a lot to talk about i want to welcome you i want to welcome steven shedletsky onto the show thank you so much for for making the time to be here with us all yeah my total pleasure happy to do it we met um it's it's interesting so i know i know Corey chadwick and he has a couple of questions that he's lined up as oh, well, cool. he, he he said shoutouts to your your beautiful hair. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> he and as well, we know each other through Mimi Boyer with Happy on Mondays, mm-hmm. where you came to speak back in November. And I just remember just loving how crisp you are as a presenter in sharing the sharing the wisdom, sharing the insights. Thanks. But as well, um, you ended you you completed your talk like very moved and uh that that really hit me that really connected with me and mm. uh, i know we'll we'll probably touch into a lot of those subjects and, and the reason why but um I, I wanted to have you come on to the show because you have so much to, to to share when it comes to 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 leadership to sharing your message and communicating it with the world you are the head of brand voice for start with why with simon sinek who is like world famous for his ted talks for his golden circle and it's um so it's a real pleasure to have you thank you it's a treat to be here i'm 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 pumped to see where this conversation goes yeah absolutely well first i want to congratulate you okay father of two kid number two yeah 
I just uh, we just did a successful shush upstairs. We're like we're just over the two week mark now with with baby Jack. So he's he's waking up to the world and going, I'm not in the womb anymore. <laughs> so he's he's screaming now. Welcome so, to the fourth uh, trimester. Yeah, right on. <laughs> That's funny. How's yeah. this? How is it? So you're 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 two weeks into having now two. It is. I mean, the the thing I've learned about parenting is, my gosh, does it put up a mirror? Uh, the times where I've been most proud of who I'm being, and most proud of something that I've co-created, as well as being the most like ashamed and embarrassed in the way I'm showing up. Like it show. I find that being a parent shows the best parts of you and. And your triggers, uh, like on whack. Uh, so, um, a ton of learning. You know, I wish I could sit before you, stand before you, and say I'm a perfect father and perfect parent. Hell no. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, we spoke about in- introspection. What I'm introspective around is when are the times that I lose my cool, and what is it about me, and how can I level that out because it's not good for me and it's not good for the for my wife it's not good for the kiddos so um most proud and most ashamed (laughs) (laughs) i I love it because that's what makes us human is that we kind of live in this duality and um would you mind sharing like what's the what's a an example of a pride prideful moment and then an example of a shameful moment that oh uh, parenting has highlighted for you. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of the pride comes with my older kiddo right now, Sophie, who's just freshly three years old. And when it's those hidden moments when unprompted, we didn't tell her, we didn't ask her, and she'll either show, like what I love most about Sophie is she's the sweetest kid. Like just so sweet. Um, and so when she just, um, you know, looks at my wife, Julie or I, or someone in our family or a stranger or one of her teachers and just is sweet, it is, it just, it it melts your heart. Um, and it gives you an indication that you're, you're doing something right or this kid's okay. Um, and then I, I lose my cool or I'm most ashamed when I have an agenda that typically has to do with time and my ego or self-importance of I have to do this, do this, do this, which could be as simple as sit on the couch and do nothing or watch the Leafs game or do work or I just want you to stop screaming or stop being ridiculous right now um, or behaving in a way that isn't the way that I want you to behave. And it's totally me. Like, they're just being an infant or a toddler um and uh and it and it triggers and gets me and then and then i show up in ways where you know my temper shows up or i just i i get short um and it doesn't happen all the time but it happens more than i want it to and you know uh matt todd who's probably a a, do do you know matt todd I, i don't matt is an amazing guy and he um he works in our space. He now works with, with Plan Canada, 
uh, previously at at Meet a Wee or We, and just an amazing guy. And he he and I have mm, a that week. might be the why, why the name's familiar. Yeah, so he he's someone I, I I'd put him in in the likes of you of people who t- and Corey people who take their personal growth at, like so seriously from a generative wonderful place. Um, you know, Matt, I, I look up to Matt so much when it comes to um, taking oneself on as it relates to the personal growth. And he's now a father of two as well, freshly. And we've we've on and off over the years, we've known each other, which is probably coming up on 10 years. Hmm. Um, but we've sort of had a, had a resurgence as we're now fathers again, is we have a weekly standing call. Um, it isn't hard scheduled. We'll just text and be like, Thursday morning, 9 a.m., great. And we'll just chat for is sometimes as short as five or 10 minutes and sometimes as long as 45. And we just talk life and talk parenting and talk work. And so one of, one of the perspectives he's shared is if you, if you didn't care about being a parent, the way you're showing up wouldn't bug you, but because it bugs you, it means you care. That is so powerful. It's hit me a lot. Yeah. That hit me as soon as you said that. Yeah. So yeah, so there there are times when I lose my cool cuz the stakes the stakes are high, you know, but uh but yeah, that that's when I'm most ashamed. When my impatience or my mm-hmm. agenda, which let's face it, typically isn't all that important, um gets in the way. So I'm just working on on how to show up with more patience and love and calm. And it's so like like uh, you said, it, it does speak to the standard that you hold yourself at. The the yeah. fact that you are kind of hard on yourself in those moments. Yeah, it's a it's it it's a reframe from I'm being hard on myself because I'm bad to I'm being hard on myself because I wish to improve. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wish to improve always. So Corey had a question about fatherhood. Okay. And so I might as well just open it up with it because I asked him. I said, hey, uh, I'm going to have Steven on the show. Do you have any questions that you think? Like he had a whole bunch. But one of my favorite ones is how has life changed now that you're a father of two when it comes to, uh, I guess, work, life, balance, and the work that you do? Yeah. I think I'm in it right now. So I'm not not sure if my answer is – matured from a perspective of father of two yeah um i can definitely tell you from father uh however i mean it's it's hard because i when i'm not traveling and i do travel quite a bit i haven't traveled since uh our second was born but i i will on monday so (laughs) we can do a a uh, a two point version of this of this episode in about two or three weeks. First, first time away, three weeks old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard when my wife is struggling in the house and I want to help, but I don't have as much time at, to help. Um, I mean, you when when I became a father, this notion of you can do whatever you want when you want it just disappears um or not disappears fully but comes at a premium uh we're extremely lucky to have a ton of family around 
who goes out of their way to give us time and space to do something as simple as go for a walk or do our taxes or um, go to a musical or go to dinner, um, which is amazing. But yeah, and it, it puts it puts stress on a relationship, which is which is great because because the true colors appear, um, and it gives you less time to work through the tensions and the conflict in the relationship, which makes it harder, right? Because <laughs> yeah, the conversations. Say, it's hard. It's you've you've gotta you've gotta make time for it, or you've gotta recover quick, or know that you know like the old notion of like never go to sleep angry it's like yeah but like when when you're sleep deprived sometimes you just gotta let them go to sleep because it's not going to be productive to bring it up then and there Mm -hmm. um and i and my personality is if there's conflict i want to talk about it now like as soon as possible typically whereas my wife is more i need some time uh which, which is training on my end to be like okay let's circle back when you're ready you know, I'll do a 36 hour check. Thanks. You know? Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if I've answered the question fully, but you know, certainly, uh, my right, right. When Jack was born, my sense of priorities and what's important was really, um, and now that I'm getting back to the, into the day-to-day work, some of the, some of the stresses are creeping, but Mm. it's balance. I mean, you, you seem really, I mean, like, as soon as we turned on Skype, like, you just seem really calm, you seem relaxed, and you're ready. Yeah, I'm glad I'm giving that off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this, I mean, this is, I love this stuff. I, I mean, you know, philosophy major without being a philosophy major, I, I, this, I, this is my element, I love this, so... Mm. For me, this is me being in flow. This is where time stands still, um, you know. So uh, uh, I, I, I'm giving off that I'm calm because I am calm in, in this. Mm. But uh, yeah, and I'm highly extroverted. So once I get into convos with people, it's like that's that's my zone. Um, yeah. One of the things that I'm really, I've been really fascinated to hear from you about is. Just as, as the, sim- the simplest question is, what are you observing? Like from your unique perspective with the leaders mm-hmm. and the lives that you are in touch with on a daily basis, just yeah. what do you notice? Mm-hmm. What are you noticing? The thing I focus most on is intent. Like as human beings, we are intent machines. Like we can sniff it. And so I... Um, Maybe sometimes to a fault because sometimes it can get in the way or I'll have a judgment around is somebody showing up to give or somebody showing up to take or is somebody showing up in a zero-sum game way. Um, I, I have, a, I have a, a preference or a bias towards givers. I just I want to live in a, in a world in which people give to each other without strings attached. Um, you know, I think it's one of the funniest things when you help somebody out just because you want to. And they're like, oh, what can I do to repay you? And you're like, just go help somebody else. Like, I'm not looking to cash in on this exchange. You know, it's actually fulfilling for me to to help you. And I'm glad it helps. And, like, if I need a favor, I'll ask for one. And I know you'd be there to help. But, like, I'm not doing this to, to cash in. Um, so I, I focus a lot on intent um, from a macro and a micro, 
right? A micro by what people say and do, a macro by what brands or organizations say and do. You know, like I look at what uh, Procter & Gamble put out with these Gillette ads of, you know, best a man can get. Awesome, provocative, cool, and only truly valuable if it's lived from the inside out. Because if you're an employee at Gillette or P&G and your boss is a misogynist, you're like, BS. So marketing can be deleterious if what you say to the outside world is in conflict with who you are on the inside. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not perfect, but it's about closing those gaps and being honest about those gaps. So, yeah, I focus most on intent. I wonder if that answers the, the question for you. No, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's kind of like how you, the lens in which you see the world. Yeah, I think, I think as humans, we are intent sniffing machines, right? We can always tell when someone's working on commission. We just know, right? You just know. Um, versus when someone uh, is genuine uh, and it's consistent. Uh, and I think that's really telling because it's, it's the difference between somebody showing up to benefit you versus someone showing, showing up to benefit themselves. And, and the leaders amongst us are the people who show up to benefit those around them. Um, you know, you're allowed to have your own agenda, uh, but uh, ultimately it should be generative and, and serve, I think. This is great because uh, one of the things that I, uh, I notice in my coaching practice is when clients hit a roadblock because of then there's a neediness there's a neediness for the sale especially during uh dry times when things are challenging so they're constantly selling they're constantly expecting the the reward for all their work and it's just like i'm putting all this effort in i'm working with all these people and no one's buying and blah 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 but mm -hmm. there's that sense of neediness and as soon as they shift they shift to pure generosity and just giving yeah. and, and craftsmanship and delivering value because it's, it's like it's very much focused on me, me, me when it's I want to get paid. But when you commit to them and what are they going to get, what's the transformation they're going to experience? I've seen those shifts happen where the, the breakthrough is like literally it, almost immediately as soon as their energy just shifts. So yeah. I would love to know like what's. You know, what's your way of, of having us shift? Like, what do you recommend that, that I, we do? Yeah, I care more about the long tail than I do about the short term. So I, I got into this industry, you know, the, the, the leadership development industry, if you will, very young, um, you know, where I didn't have a ton of experience, but I knew this was the work I was committed to. Like my why aligns with this, right? And I made a decision of just doing it. Of like, this is the path I'm going to commit to. I'm going to live in my parents' basement for as long as it takes until I'm okay. And fortunately, I, you know, I, I had that backing uh, and support from my parents. Um, but when, when you're describing you know, sales professionals or you know, needing to sell or hit a quota or just have enough to live comfortably i think at its best so it, first and foremost we need to make ends meet so sometimes you have to sacrifice 
something. I, I, I would urge not your ethics, morals, or values, um, certainly not ethics or morals, but you might have to take a job that you don't love doing or say yes to something or sell to a client that you know isn't the best long-term client, but they're, they're going to make ends meet. Like sometimes you got to do that. Um, of course, there's an opportunity cost. Every time you say yes to someone who you know you shouldn't be saying yes to, you're inadvertently saying no to many people that you should be saying yes to at some point. So, you know, early on in, in our company, uh, Simon and, and Kim, uh, who they built this business together, there were many times when they said no to clients who wanted something from them when they couldn't afford to say no. But they just did it. Because in saying no to the to the people you should say no to, when the right people came al along, you say yes. And ultimately, everyone you say yes to and everyone you say no to is a reflection of who you are. It says something to the outside world. So if you keep saying yes to the right people, then more of the right people show up. Or if you ask the clients you love for referrals, chances are they're going to refer people they like, and you'll probably like them too. So I know that at its best, sales is a service, and sales is, is a relationship and trust, and there's a long tail. So a book that I love mm. and a thought leader I love, who's, his work is, has, has impacted my life pretty well just as much as, as Simon's, is Adam Grant, who wrote the book Give and Take. Um, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And uh, Grant's hypothesis, and he proves it, is that the, the most successful among us um, are givers. The least successful among us are also givers. What's the difference? It's a difference between do, being a doormat and having your own agenda. Mm. That you can be a giver and you say yes to every re request, and it's and it is at the the negative impact of your own goals, right? So you could always be helping others, but not be mindful of your timelines, budgets, and needs, whatever it might be. Or you can be a giver and say yes and offer help and say, I can help you, but it needs to be Thursday afternoon. If you need it before then, go ask Nancy. She can help you or put you in the right direction. Um, and you're still giving without having to put in all the, all the work. Um, Grant also describes one of the most successful eyeglass salesperson at a retail spot. And this person's trick, it's not really a trick, it's just honesty, is that if somebody came in, a client came in looking for something, and if he didn't have something in stock or in his catalog that was good for this person, he would send them to the Hakeem Optical down the street. Right? He'd send them to his competitor. He'd say, you know what? You'd actually be better served if you go to Barbie Parker or whatever, whatever, whatever. And people would go buy their glasses from some other place, but they would talk about this guy who still put them in the right direction. And even though they got glasses from, from some other place, they'd say, go ask for his help because he'll give you an honest opinion. And that, I think, is the best. And, I mean, I'm, I love referral. Like, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than someone saying, hey, your work comes recommended. Um, so that's... That's what I, I aim for, you know. The first two, three years when I started down this road, I, I, I was not making enough to go over the poverty line. Fortunately, I was living in my parents' basement, so the poverty line was okay. Um, but I just committed to pursuing the thing that I knew that I would want to pursue for the rest of my life. 
and things have been working out so far. It, what you say about who you say yes to and who you say no to uh, says a lot about you. That also lines up with what we're talking about with that. There's that also the du- duality. Right? Mm-hmm. As soon as you say yes to some people, there's a lot of other people you're saying no to. You know, there's that whole notion of you, like every yes requires a thousand no's. And sure. so if you're saying yes to a client that doesn't really line up in the long term, that maybe that's costing you by, cause that means no time, no energy, no resources for the ideal, like the ideal long-term term client. So, yeah, for sure. And I mean, sometimes you, you gotta do it, mm-hmm. you know, or you drive Uber. But you're just honest for the cost. Like you're honest with yourself yeah. about the cost, like what it's actually costing you. Yeah. Well, and it's also in the same way that you, when you say you're honest with the cost, I like that because I have an issue with leaders and organizations who say this is a great place to work and everyone's family and we care about you, but they're just trying to get bought out or or, or IPO, right? And they're lying. Versus, like, Amazon, not an amazing place to work. Highly competitive. Um, but they're honest about it. They say there's probably a good chance you won't be here in five years, but you'll leave better. You'll grow. You'll get a ton of skills. And there's something to be said for, I'd rather people say, hey, we're positioning this business to be bought out in five years. We want you to help add value for five years. And then I can't tell you what's going to happen. Versus... Mm become part part of the family that's that's just lying so i also you know i also think there's something really interesting if you're going to say yes to a client that you really want to say no to but you you just need to say yes to it for some reason you can tell them i'll do the work but i'll tell you i don't want to and here's the reason i don't want to <laughs> that like how is rad- br- <laughs> like how radical is that it's like i'll i'll do the work and here's what's going to upset me about it, or here's where I'm going to let you down. Um, like, I think that's really interesting. And if they still say yes, mm-hmm. like, you're coming clean. I've had to say this is not exactly what I do to people. Um, okay. I don't say it. I don't know if I say it as blunt as that, mm-hmm. but I'll say this is not really what I do. But you I know, typically have trust more, my I guidance. Typically have more courage on a podcast than I do in uh, <laughs> in, a, in a real <laughs> real negotiation, a real interaction. I um, you have a well, really what, interesting. What you, I'm sorry. What, what were you going to say though? I, I cut you off. Um, you're saying you're saying you you typically we may have lost it, but yeah, I, I think I think I lost uh, it. Okay, my my bad. No, no worries. I um, you you have a interesting backstory and and uh, you know there, there's a part of your story which i relate with because i remember uh, my, one of my first jobs it was in a recruiting company and i had to let go of like 40 people yikes it's like all right oliver you're hired now call 40 people and let them go mm. and i'm like whoa that's i was on the wrong end of the phone on that day yeah wow it was, it was pretty intense so I would love to know about, and, and you have a like kind of a, a similar story about when you got into your kind of first job. Yeah. So my I was hired by uh, Petro Canada in 
November of 2008. And I had a long pre-boarding, right, the time before I actually started. I was My start date was going to be in September. Um, and in March of 2009, Suncor and PetroCanada merged. Um, and uh, I remember my, my roommate sent me a link, and I went, oh, wow, that might change some, some, some things. And I got a call from HR the next day. I was in class. I picked it up. And it said, hi, Stephen, this is, you know, so-and-so from HR at PetroCan. Just leaving you a message. You know, give us a call back. And I went, uh, like, you can't fire me. I haven't started. <laughs> <laughs> I I called her back, and she just said, I want to let you know that our employment offers stand true. I'm like, cool. You couldn't have said that in the message, too. Uh, but, sigh, uh, sigh of relief. Yeah. On, on my first day, a thousand people were let go uh, from from the joint organization uh and so i was one one person walking in with many more walking out um and it was a it was a tumultuous environment as one would expect um yeah i i saw the impact it's it's very interesting it's what do you do as a leader when you don't know what's going to happen in the future and and there's there's like two postures you can take one is to say nothing, and the other is to be transparent. And when you say nothing, it gives people the opportunity to make up their own story. When you tell people what's going on, or as much as you do know that is responsible enough to, to say, you're at least owning or sharing a narrative. Um, and I, I saw the impact of, of, uh, of senior leaders not necessarily knowing their future and not really providing one for the people in their span of care. Uh, and I saw the impact that had on people's well-being. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I lasted there at a, a year to the day. Uh, I was let go because I was mentoring a number of interns who turned down full-time job opportunities, citing conversations with me. So that's called being a rebel with a cause, perhaps. But not a, not a you know... Uh, you know, my my first cousin still works at the company and is doing wonderfully and loves it there. It's not an evil place. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I'm fortunate that I had that experience because, you know, oftentimes it's those valley experiences in your life that prove to you what the peaks could be or what fulfillment could look like uh, because of what was missing. You just get to play the, the opposite game. If I If I don't like this feeling, well, then I must like the opposite feeling. What were some of those other valleys, those valley moments? In my career journey or life? All together, yeah. Like some major ones, two yeah, or three. Yeah. So when I, I finally had an opportunity to join uh, Simon Sinek's team, which was amazing and awesome because, you know, I get to work with this, essentially this amazing visionary who... His vision is my vision, right? Simon speaks of a world in which the vast majority of people wake up inspired, feel safe at work, and return home fulfilled. I'm like, yes, 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 that's what I want. Um, and the the challenge I had when I initially joined is I was in the mailroom. I was I was answering fan email, um, and Simon describes it as as if it was uh, what is it? Um, 
uh, ninja where you're painting the the fence. You're like, why am I painting the fence? What? Karate Kid. That's well, yeah, like Karate Kid, like wax yeah, yeah. on, wax yeah, off. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I, you know, I'm someone who I typically can build trust quickly with others. And my perspective at the time is, I I trust them. Why don't they trust me? And I want to be speaking and facilitating and coaching and doing all these things that from my perspective align well with my strengths. Um, and it was hard cause I essentially answered fan email for two years. Um, and a shift happened for me when for, you know, uh, one year and 364 days I focused on, um, what I want to be doing, what I want to be doing, what I want to be doing. And I shifted from, instead of focusing on what I want to be doing, I just want to focus on what is mine to do and where I can contribute, right? And it, as soon as I shifted from, here are the things that I've been tasked with or here are the things that are in my span of control, I'm just going to rock them, even if it's hard. It doesn't mean I'm going to have to do them forever. Uh, if, if I do it with the right intent and I work hard, I, the right things will happen, or at least I'm just taking ownership of what's mine to own. And as soon as I had that shift, everything changed. Um, mm-hmm. So many more opportunities came up because I, w- I, I went from a, I shifted from complaining to contributing. Like when you were in the, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Was it, like challenging for you to to show up and go to work um, complaining or you're like oh look at this organization you're so inspiring but here i am i'm doing this stuff that i don't even want to be doing like what kind of company is that did you have those kinds of feelings sure oh of course when you're you know when when i struggle oftentimes it may maybe not always the first place but it's certainly a place i go is what's wrong with all the people and the circumstances around me versus what's mine to do and what's mine to own. I mean, and you know, that was sort of the, the first Valley I've, I've had on our team, but I've had valleys further. Um, and then typically all of them have to do with, uh, I don't want to put in hard work around things I don't want to do, but it's what, it's what needs to be done. And if, if there was somebody else who was fit to do it, they would have been asked to do it, but I've been asked and, I'm the right person right now. Um, so of course, I mean, we, you know, I've gotten into, into trouble or into conflict when I just point and make everyone else around me wrong, but it's just not that productive. Um, Kim who, who helped build this, this business with Simon has taught me that, that you have two choices in life. You can choose to be right or you can choose to be better. Right. Like, I, 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 there are so many opportunities in our lives and in our relationship with a partner and relationship with a friend, relationship with a colleague, whatever it might be with a boss or you're, everyone's right. Like the only truth about truth is that it's perception and not in fact true. Like everyone's always right. Uh, but it's, it's taking a stance of responsibility and, you know, what can I own or what can I commit to, to make the situation better? Um, even if I have to sacrifice my ego a little bit, or I have to put in some hard work. So those are some of the things I've learned or am learning because there are still areas I need to do it 
in in my in my life and in my work right now for sure the being right thing is a it, i think that's such an important thing for people to wrap their heads around because when you are coming from you know this is not what i want to do it's like everything else and everyone else is wrong and i get to be right about i'm not doing what i want to do yeah and 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 yeah you can't be better you can't improve the you, you can't improve the the circumstances the situation coming mm-hmm. from from that being right cuz there's also a sense of being um victimized in a sense i don't know if oh that's accurate for you but oh, for sure. it's like why is this happening to me why are they giving me this like why I, I can do more. Like, yeah. Oh, for dude, sure. I'm, I'm smarter than this person. I should be doing that job. Sure. Well, you and know? what you've what you've just you've just made me realize as well is when someone is right, it's binary. It means that somebody else is wrong. There are winners and losers, and that's, that's that duality again. And that's a finite game. Versus progress, which is which is infinite. Right. There's no in progress. Everyone can be right. So, I don't know, it's just a good, you know, I'm all up in game theory right now with Final Fantasy games, so. Okay, so this is where we're going to geek out right now. I'm not like super, I mean, I'm not super well versed in in game theory, um, but I I do understand the the concepts around um, this next book that's coming up for Simon, uh, Infinite Game, and, and you talked about this as well in your presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of months ago, but kind of th- what I'm seeing in the world is that finite game of if I am succeeding, other people must lose and fail. And if I'm not doing well, that means everybody else is doing better than me. And it's it, it's kind of like this fa- <laughs> this false perception of, mm-hmm. of of reality where we're we're not necessarily needing to kind of look you know look at the world and look at the business world in that way i would love to know kind of yeah how you've how you've been kind of understanding it so i'm learning i'm learning a lot about it now and what i have learned i i love i mean the way you set it up as well like it's not sustainable to say like if if i'm winning it means others or if i'm succeeding it means others must not be I mean, not only is that narrow-minded, I, I don't think that is like a sustainable perspective for the well-being of humanity, <laughs> that for you to succeed, others have to fail. Like, I, I think it's, it's um, you know, ethically, I don't agree with it, but from a perspective of us being around as a species, I think it's not working either as well. So um, what game theory says is that if you have two or more players, you have a game. And there are two types of games. So there are finite games and there are infinite games. Finite games have a clear end point. So in finite games, there are known players. Uh, The rules are agreed upon. And there are winners and losers. So, you know, think of any game of sport, right? Uh, You know, let's take take a, a... a baseball game, right? Jays versus Red Sox. There's no third team that runs out of the bullpen and says, "Yar, we're the Pirates and we can take you down." Like, no, like that's a that's a that's for interleague action, right? Two players. Um, the the rules are agreed upon. 
except for maybe the strike zone, but that probably will be automated at some point as well. Um, and there's a clear clear winner or loser, right? If you make it to the bottom of, of the ninth and one team has more runs than the other, like game is over. You can't go like, give us, give us to the 11th inning. Like, nah, we'll come back tomorrow and play another finite game. Uh, infinite games have known and unknown players. The uh, rules are constantly shifting um, and aren't agreed upon. Uh, and there are no winners and losers. The game doesn't end, so there's only a head and behind. So if you uh, look at it, life, business, or politics are all infinite games, right? There are, the, the players are constantly coming in and out. Um, there are no agreed upon. Like, I can't say to you, I'm winning life. Like, I'm beating you at life. Like, that's just not because, because we all have our own criteria of success, uh, which is also why when when um, someone in their industry says, we're number one in our industry, I say, what industry are you in? And I go, oh, I'm in that in industry too. I'm also number one. Because it's arbitrary, right? Based on what? Like square footage of your office, number of associates, uh, revenues, your mother's... No, there's no standard criteria for success. Um, and as well... Uh, though our lives end or our careers end, there's no winning life or winning a, a career. Or just because there's a fiscal year doesn't mean that you win business, right? There are finite games within the infinite. You could win a win a proposal, win a bit of business, but business keeps going. Um, and so you you come into issues when you play an infinite game by finite rules. When you say to beat to beat the competition. When you say, you know, prioritizing the number at the end of the fiscal year rather than the trend. Uh, and the vast majority of players in business and in politics, I mean, China talks about the next 1,000 years when it comes to politics. We just talk about the next election term. Mm -hmm. that's, fin that's finite thinking, right? Uh, and, and you see politicians do the wrong thing I'm thinking SNC Lavalin. I'm thinking all the things we see in the news right now because they're thinking of their own interest or the pressures from the people around them to win the next election or stay in power rather than do what's right. Um, and so, yeah, so we're we're playing an infinite game. So if we play them by finite rules, we will get stuck. Um, and in in the infinite game, the the currency is will and resources. Do you have the will, the motivation, and the resources to keep going? Um, sometimes you don't have the resources, but you have the will, and so you have a merger. Somebody will buy you or you join forces. Um, uh, and, and that's what you know. That's what winning and losing looks like in the infinite game for, for business is a merger or acquisition, acquisition or bankruptcy. Um, so th that's finite in infinite games at a, at a high level. Um, and yeah, I mean, Simon talks about the criteria you need to lead in the infinite game, um, which is you need to have a just cause, a why, a, a compelling reason for being. You need to foster trusting teams. Um, you view your competition not as something to beat, but as something to admire, worthy rivals, right? You can mm -hmm. learn. I love when they, yeah, I love when you say worthy, worthy rivals, because we yeah. all bring out the best in each other. Yeah, it, and you're... Or we can, and we, we can. Yes, and, and oftentimes your peers or competitors 
reveal your strengths and reveal your weaknesses, show you the areas where you need to improve or show you the areas where you have no business playing and that's okay. Um, so yeah, I love that notion of worthy rivals. Uh, and then existential flexibility, which means that you, if a, if a, a way presents itself to make progress on your just cause, that's quicker, better, faster than what you're doing now, you pivot and you do that. Um, and mm-hmm. then finally, the, the courage to lead, um, which is a capacity to, uh, to make values-based decisions over interest-based decisions. So yeah, that's the current stuff, and I love it. That's delicious. It is. Like, it really is. Because um, does it line up for you to look at finite, like, people playing it with finite rules as survival-based? It's fear-based. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fear, you know, fight or flight. And Infinite Game is very much about, okay, how do we thrive? Yeah. Like, how do we flourish? Yes. It's It's more abundant. Yes, it's generous, generative, abundant love versus uh, fear-based. Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The opposite of abundant. <laughs> when things are... Uh, yeah, scarce. Yeah, scarce, yeah. Scarcity. Yeah. yeah. Lack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we live in a time and in a place of the world where we where it's a lot easier for us to go from that view, right? If you're in the middle of a cyclone, cyclone, it's harder. Um, but uh, not impossible. I mean, this is, this is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for, for Meaning, if you're familiar with the book, which is like required reading mm-hmm. for anyone who wants yeah. to live a life of purpose. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy, the reason he survived Auschwitz, one of the, one of the death camps, um, under Nazi Germany, uh, was because he had a reason to live, right? His work called logotherapy, which is meaning the, the study of meaning, um, and his, and his, his wife and kids, uh, or wife and daughter. Cause I think his, he was with his son. So anyway, if you can live with purpose or live with an intent or have hope in, in, in essentially hell on earth, uh, I think we all can. Hmm. Yeah. The yeah that that book it just bl- it blew me away in terms of what human beings are actually capable of, even when their environment seems insurvivable. Uh, that's like that's a breakthrough, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's that's like getting onto the moon, like being able to survive that and and maintain the mental you know the mental clarity, the mental will. Yeah. Um, that's huge. Well, what- I, I want to. Just one quick piece on that is it proves the the most powerful component, the most powerful force of humanity is hope, right? Frankel observed that as soon as people lost hope, they would diminish. Um, and toward the end of uh, when he, when mm. his camp was liberated, he he had I think he had typhoon, right? Like he was waning. And he saw his hope wane, but his, he saw the people who maintained hope of a brighter future or of a, of a tomorrow. And my grandfather, who's a Holocaust survivor, I asked him, like, did, did you have vision? Like, did, did you envision a growing, thriving family 
tens of years? Like, did, did you have like this crazy hope, vision, success? He said, no, I just didn't, I wasn't ready to die. I still wanted to see tomorrow. I was like, yeah. okay, wow. So Yeah, the hope for tomorrow was enough. Yeah, which is why it's important, I mean, to have something to live or work towards always mm-hmm. for us, right? That's why yeah, it's that's important. That's that, you know, having something bigger than yourself. It's, yeah, it's both having something bigger than yourself as well as, like, it's it's trivial, but, like, it's the value of booking vacation. It's the value of booking a night out. Yeah. And it's so, it's ridiculous to compare, to, to draw inspiration from that, from from um, the Holocaust, but it, it that does make the day-to-day better when we are working towards things. I want us to jump back quickly to the infinite game and those elements and what you see is missing the most in the climate right now when it comes to leaders and leadership. Mm. Um, What's missing? A lot of it. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 uh, huh. All so, of the above. Yeah. A, a lot of it. So, I mean, I'm not sure what's missing the most, but I can go down sort of each of them and, and, and share what I see is missing for each, and then maybe we'll get somewhere. Um, there are a lot, of, so just cause. There are a lot of organizations, like purpose has become uh, in vogue, right? Uh, the, the, that's part of the issue of when you have a movement is when you uh, tip and you reach a level of scale, the, the purity can be bastardized a little bit. So there are a lot of leaders and organizations who claim they are for purpose or purpose first or people first, but they're not not really. Like they, they kind of are, but it's only when it's convenient, which links to this piece of courage to lead. I think that the interesting thing about courage to lead is is you it's it's integrity, right? What does it mean to have integrity? To have integrity means you do the right thing even if it's hard. Um, even mm. if it's unpopular. Uh, I was literally just about to say that. Like, yeah. it's the, there's a lack of integrity where here, here's how on the outside, how we present ourselves, we're purpose-driven, but behind the scenes, yeah. when no one's looking. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I think, I think then that, that's what it is, actually, then. I think the biggest okay. issue is... is is you is is uh is lack of integrity is you say all the right things but when the going gets tough right we're not tested in calm waters we're tested in in rough waters Mm. so i mean this is why it's easy to get uh uh, elected easier to get elected as as a politician harder to bring to life what you say you will um i mean Again, that's that's integrity, authenticity, the, the gap between what you say and do. Now, you know, you look at the states right now, a lot of that is has been tough in the Obama administration because everything Obama tried to do, the Republicans' purpose was anti-Obama. So just everything was just filibustered, everything. So hard, um, but it's still how do you stand up and do what's right even if it's unpopular and even if it costs you the next election or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think that... I think I think I think we got to it. The the hardest is we're for purpose when it's convenient. 
um, versus it's conditional. Yeah, what are you doing when it isn't convenient? Because that's when you're really tested. And there's, I mean, there are a couple of organizations and leaders that come to mind that epitomize that. So I had the opportunity to visit um, Victorinox in Switzerland. They're the Swiss Army Knife Company. Whoa. Um, amazing organization. Awesome. Uh, privately held, family owned. Uh, their first CEO's name was, oh my God, am I going to forget it? Uh, Carl Elsner. Um, their, their current CEO's name is also Carl Elsner. And the second and third um, were just Frank. No, also Carl Elsner. It's a, it's a family-owned company. Um, and they were really tested. So the, the majority of their business were, was due, I think it was, maybe not the majority, but 40% of their business, I think, at the time was selling pocket knives at retail locations in U.S. airports. And then 9-11 happened. <laughs> right? And so not only are there people... There goes that model. Not only are people traveling less, but, but you can't bring knives on board. Um, and they totally had to reinvent their business. And they got lucky. They had a big order come in right before 9-11, and they were okay. But what they did was um, their CEO called around to manufacturers in the area because they couldn't hit payroll. Like they couldn't afford to keep their staff. And what most organizations would do, certainly publicly held organizations would do, is layoffs. Yeah. And, and, and public organizations uh, or organizations with external investors will do layoffs, not because they have to, but just to get a better number on the balance sheet. <laughs> That's using people as pawns in a game. Yeah, like that's just absolutely. wrong. Um, but what Carl Elsner did, what Victorinox did, is they found other companies that were looking for people, and they lent out their employees, invoiced those companies, and still paid their people until wow. times until times got better. Not a single person lost their job, even though forty percent of their business evaporated. What an unorthodox approach. So if you look at their just cause, if you look at their why, the why of Victorinox is to be a companion for life. That's why they make hugely highly uh, high quality products is they don't make you a watch or a knife or a piece of luggage within the hope that you buy another one in five years. They make it so that it lasts forever. Um, and they got that because people would write in letters of how much they love the company or their, their grandparent passed down their knife from three generations previous and it's still functional, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, that's an example of an organization that isn't perfect, but is doing a lot of things right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's to your point. It's when, when will you go out of your way to do what's right, even though it's harder? Um, but the funny thing is, is it provides better long-term results. How do we do that as individuals? Um, so, so do what? Do, so to, to do the right thing in the moment. Yeah. Even, even though, yeah. It's not to, convenient. Um, I, I mean, I, this is why it helps to, to not just know that you have purpose or values, but to clearly articulate them. And then to share them with others so that, mm. right, accountability isn't to a number, accountability is to each other. So if I say to you, Oliver, I really care about um, 
uh, being considerate of others, right? And then I don't show up to this session whatsoever, right? And then you write me an email and you're like, hey, <laughs> where were you, right? Like that would be counter to my values, you know, mm -hmm. and something that I wouldn't be proud of. Even if I had a screaming kid upstairs, I would still send you some sort of message of I'm running late or I'm really sorry. We got to do this in three or four weeks when I can answer the question better of what it's like to be a father mm -hmm. of two. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think, I think, uh, you know, the, the George Harrison quote from his song, Any Road that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. But if you do know where you're going, you know what roads to take. And so I think the answer that makes the most sense for me right now is, is know your code and, and write your code aloud or, or write it out. Um, so I, I have my why and I have my, my hows. I have my, my, my just cause and I have my, my values in action. Um, and I try to live, live as close to them as possible and invite the quality of relationships that people will call me on if I'm not doing it or that I can ask for help. What, it seems what, to me what the... would you say? What would you say to that question of how do you how do you live with integrity? So for me, when I look at integrity and getting back to a place of integrity, the first place I look is where am I not in integrity? And can I just be honest with myself about exactly where I'm completely out of integrity? I actually, I, I have a list that I carry in my wallet of all the messes and the nonsense, all the broken promises to myself or others, commitments, mm -hmm. um, things that have piled that, have, that I haven't taken care of that are loose ends that I need to complete, that I need to clear. Um, and I find that the first step, just be just acknowledging and just kind of looking at, okay, let's just be honest. He, I'm not considerate of people right now. I'm not considerate of their time, like with your example. Just, just look at it straight in the face. Uh, acknowledging it first, being in integrity with where I'm out of integrity. Mm. And <laughs> then beginning, right? And yeah. then just choose, choose one thing. Like for instance, I have, a sh I have a shitload of receipts behind me like on the floor that I've been organizing that have been sitting there. And I'm just like, okay, let me, let me handle this. I have two <laughs> shoe boxes. Let me handle this. That I, one night I just put, you know, put a podcast on and I just kind of annihilated half the pile, which was, which mm. felt really good. It felt really, I felt really light. Um, there's a number of things like that where I'm, uh, might be behind in and I'll just play, play catch up and literally just getting those things, um, behind me, like it just frees me. It frees me, and, and I and I do feel uh, more powerful. Like I feel more more clear and more mm -hmm. ready for for what's next. And um, yeah, so that's how I would how I do it. Yeah, yeah, cool. But I I so essentially, I think our answers are very similar, if not the same. And. Um, Something else you so something else you highlighted, which is leadership, whether it's leading oneself or leading others, is not about perfection, because that's impossible, but it's about closing the gap and being honest about the parts that you aren't nailing or that you're out of integrity with. Like you build trust with people around you and yourself when you say, Here's where I'm shitting the bed. Mm -hmm. And people are like, Yeah, you are. And you're like, Great, I want to improve. 
and here's what I'm going to try to do, or I don't know how to improve and I need help. Mm-hmm. That, that transparency is inspiring or can be. So I, I want to get your thoughts on something that I've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. And so like just thinking about trends and if you think of like past trends, it kind of began with be happy, be positive. Like po- mm-hmm. it's all about positivity. And then it went into authenticity. It's all about authenticity. You got to be authentic. Yeah. And then it's vulnerability. Well, you got to be vulnerable. Like sh- yeah. share share your your dirty secrets, your trauma, your pain, and and there's value in all of it. Okay, and that's mm-hmm. not knocking on it because when it's when it's not something that you are doing, but who you're being, I think it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, but even just the undertone of our whole conversation, I feel like we are trending towards just a dramatic level of awareness around the importance of responsibility. Like, I think the things that we've been talking about, it's, it all comes down to being Mm. responsible. Like, Hey, let's be honest. Hey, I'm not nailing it in this area. Hey, you know what? Let's be honest. Like, I'm just not like, there's, there's parts that I'm proud of. There's parts that I'm ashamed of. And, uh, that's stuff that not not many people are willing to, to say out loud. But yeah. just saying it, it's like sure. permission. It's like uh, shining a light and like, oh, wow. Steven goes through that too. Like he works for this incredible organization and he has these, you know, he faces these kinds of personal day-to-day questions himself too. And he works with all these incredible companies. And he, it's, it's, to me, it speaks of responsibility. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like Totally. The, the the positivity movement is I don't believe in it only because it isn't real unless you're on Valium all the time. Like it's about balance, right? I mean it's that duality again. You know, I, I'm I'm not a pursuit of happiness guy, I'm a pursuit of fulfillment guy. Because uh, you can have a really tough, hard day, which we do, but you can still find meaning uh, or, or love it because of the people you're doing it with and why you're doing it. So yeah, like bang on, totally. Um, and yeah, I'm for some reason I'm on a, I'm on a an intent splurge today. I'm loving this notion of of intent. Um, that I and I think there's a the connection between responsibility and intent is, is big, huge. Right. Um, to own your intent, to be transparent about your intent. And you uh, also talked about like owning what there is for me to do. Yeah. Oh my God. This is mine to do. Own it. Yeah. Yep. Fully. What are your thoughts on, and this is something that I feel, um, how do I, how do I put it? There's, there's almost a seemingly universal invalidation of millennials. (laughs) entitled and useless and soft and i would love to know what your perspective is on on that yeah i mean we and that's also and that's also inspired by uh, our, our mutual friend and past guest of this podcast Corey chadwick yeah um so in many respects, I mean, this Simon went on a rant on the millennial video thing. Yes, uh, and, and 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 his perspective, which I agree with, is that millennials have been dealt 
a hard hand. Um, and he breaks it down into, let's see if I can do it properly, parenting styles, technology, impatience, and environment. So uh, as uh, the, there is a shift in the parenting philosophy in the 80s, 90s, and today that the role of parents is to be friends with their children, um, to do your child's work, like the seagull parenting, right? The parents are the one who calls the teacher if, if the kid doesn't get, like, that's just wrong. Um, but there, there is this shift, and some of the parenting behavior we see is ridiculous, which isn't fair to the kids. And then, unfortunately, these kids are going entering into the workforce where they think this is normal, and you can either choose to nurture the talent as a, as a leader or as an employer or not. Um, the other hard thing, and I know there's been tons of publications and articles around millennials and having a hard time just doing the normal day-to-day work, like buying groceries and doing the laundry or paying your taxes or figuring out how to mail something. Um, and A, if you have reason to do something, you'll find reason to do it and find resilience. Um, but uh, millennials have come of age in a time of prevalence of technology um, where there is an app for that. And that's great for everything except for stuff like love and fulfillment. While there may be apps that can help form connections there ain't no app for building um a a long-lasting meaningful relationship that takes work uh, both in personal life and at work um and so technology is a powerful tool but if we if we expect it to uh, help us find love meaning and fulfillment not going to work um which correlates well to impatience that You know, um, I mean, now? I, and, and that was my experience when I joined our team, when I joined Simon Sinek is I, there's enough trust. I want you to put me on a pedestal and you put me on a stage. I want to reap the benefits of being a part of this brand. And they went, you got to earn it. Right. I don't love this yeah. notion of pay your dues, but like I had to earn their trust. Like I've learned in my, uh, career that I'm obsessed with, how can I create the condition that, that others are willing to take risks on me? Like that's that's my focus. Because if people are willing to take risks on me, then then we're great. Um. So yeah. So uh, a uh, uh, someone I met um, who worked at a, a Toronto startup in Liberty Village sort of turned five seven years old, so it wasn't really a startup anymore. Um. He had a a young a young whippersnapper grad out of Waterloo or something and um, joined their company. And this guy's job was, you know, when you walk into an office and there's a TV screen with information like the weather or like welcome Johnson group or all, you know, the automated screen. It was this guy's job to populate that screen every day. And he did it for about six months and got really bored. And he went to his, uh, his director not even his boss, his director, and said, I want a promotion, right? I'm not having impact. I'm smarter than this. I want to do strategic work. And the director said, "Um, I have no doubt that you have these skills. You're a smart young person. 
um, but you've simply done nothing to prove that you do. He said, what, what are you doing to apply the very same thing to the thing that you're supposed to be leading? And he went, ah. And he came, back, he came back a month later and he fully automated the thing that what used to take 35 hours a week took four hours a month. So he literally worked himself, himself out of a job but earned a promotion. And if for some reason there was no opportunity to get promoted – then he has a great story to share with his next employer around how to take ownership of something. Um, so that I, I, you know, this notion of, of I'm not making an impact with my work. It's like, well, what are you owning? And also, um, how do you put yourself in a position where you're working on something that you care about, which dovetails nicely into the last piece of environment that I think, far too many organizations suck and far too many organizations um, are self-serving um, and focus on their own profits rather than um, being a place where they talk about growth. They talk about their people because when your people grow, so does your business. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, First and foremost, we need to know what we care about and then try to find leaders and organizations or a career path that aligns, um, right? I mean, that was the recipe for me is I've, I found the thing that I'm going to contribute to for the, for the rest of my life, whether it's with Simon or not. Like, I'm just going to do it. I'm glad that it's with. Uh, but I think more and more people, not just young people, everyone, need to find their sense of purpose uh, because then you know where to go to bring it to life. It sounds like it's almost like there's a, a lack of just this sense that there's an, you can make an impact where, where you are right now. Like with that you, example that you gave, it's, yeah. it's like, I'm not making an impact with what I'm, with what I'm doing. It's like, well, you're just not seeing it right. Like yeah. You just got to shift your perspective. Sure. And then he, and then he did. Mm-hmm. And I think more people need to realize that it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, what your title is, what your role is. If you can make an impact. You can take ownership where you're at. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a cheesy example, but it's, it's good. I love the cheese. I love and it, it. And it. And it's a good reminder. So the way we show up impacts the people around us. So there's mm -hmm. some speaker, I forget who it, was or it, I think it was a guy named John Izzo, but it could have been somebody else. And he described getting onto an airplane after a long business trip, like tired, pissed off, leave me alone. I just want to get home. And then there was uh, a mother with uh, maybe a 18 month old uh, kid, a couple rows ahead, and the kid just popped his head up smiling and just like totally shifted the mood of the cabin for the rows behind and uh, like yes you you got to figure out what's in your span of of control and, and own it but it's also like i'm i'm not a big believer on you know just pretend you're happy and the people around you mm -hmm. like i that's not like my my bag but it it does prove that and yeah, the way you show up uh, impacts the people around you. 
Um, you know, it's not something I nail every time. It's something I, I do nail sometimes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, just a good reminder of, uh, of, you know, even for, for, uh, someone younger in their career who's like, I'm not making an impact. Well, it's like, well, where can you make an impact and then own it? Yes. That's a better, way better question. So I have a couple of, uh, closing questions before we wrap up. Yeah. And, um, spe- speaking of which, what would you say is the most important question you've asked yourself? In the last twelve months. Whew. Speaking of questions, yeah. Um, I I think a I think a the one that comes to mind right now is is this what I want? I I I'm typically a big believer of like powerful open ended questions, but the one that just came to mind was is this what I want? And if the answer is yes, talking about you know, parent of two, talking about the role I have in our team, right? And if the answer is is a genuine yes, then fucking own it. Yes. And if the answer is no, make a change. Own it too. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Responsibility, intent, again. So uh, that's what's coming up to mind right now is, is this what I want? And so long as the answer is yes, then then own it and make it happen and make it better. Um. Not not with blinders on. Sometimes you you know, you you gotta hop into the tension or conflict to make it better. You you gotta dip into what's not working to get to a place that is working. But uh, yeah, is this what I want? I like that. Mm. Tell me about orange shoelaces. <laughs> so um, one of the one of the challenges of this notion of, you know, live with purpose is it's, it's flat, like it's hard. It's emotional. It's, it's not tangible, right? People say fluffy or soft. Uh, and so, uh, this can be the value of having physical symbols or, or reminders of things that inspire you. Right. I, I keep this, I actually grabbed this towards the beginning of our interview. Um, it's a my, my grandfather's initial ring that he gave to me um, that reminds me of him and reminds me of the legacy that I have to uphold. Um, the reason I wear orange shoelaces. Grandfather Benjamin, right? Yeah, yeah, Ben. Um, and the reason I have orange shoelaces on a number of my shoes and I love the color orange is because uh, orange is the color of optimism. Right. There's Pantone colors. Right. Purple is Royal Regal and red is aggression, love, action. Um, uh, yellow is happy. Uh, orange is is hope. Orange is, is optimism. Orange is a, a brighter future and our ability to build it together. And so I try to have a lot of orange around of orange pens and orange shoelaces and a lot of orange. Our our company logo is is an orange flame um, because it. When I sometimes I just look at it, and be like, oh yeah, that's my responsibility, or uh, you know, um, like like many others. Oh, here it is. Um, like like many others, when I lose confidence, I sulk and my head will go down, and I'll see the orange shoelaces, and I'll remind myself um, of the responsibility that I have uh, to to find and choose an optimistic perspective. And to share that with others. 
what's difficult or unthinkable for the rest of us, but easy for you? The so superhuman magic trick. My superhuman magic trick is I have an ability to um, re-articulate back to someone what they're trying to say. Mm. Uh, 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 yeah, I have an ability to give people match words to, to feelings, uh, which I wouldn't trade for a thing because it helps to uh, build connection, trust and love whether that's about what their organization is about or um, what they're struggling with at this very moment. Uh, yeah, that's it for me. With, with that said, describe head of brand voice. <laughs> okay. So what does that mean yeah, for yeah, you yeah. and for the team? So somehow I've made a career out of um, studying Simon Sinek and meaningfully uh, sharing his prophecy in a way that's genuine to me uh, and align with with him, uh, uh, him as a person and his likeness, his brand. And it's convenient because I agree with it. Uh, I'm genuinely inspired by um, by him as a person as well as his views. So you know, it's really good he isn't a tobacco salesman. Um, so, so I've, I've made a career essentially figuring out, uh, what, what would Simon say? Uh, how would he say it? Not perfectly. I'm not, I'm not a mini me, but pretty, pretty well. Um, and also, you know, I bring my own strengths that, that he doesn't necessarily have as well around instructional design and taking his concepts and, and making it, uh, you know, even more real for, for people. Um, but what head of brand voice does, what the responsibility is, is um, building the movement. And for a movement to scale, we need to use the same language. And so it's my responsibility and opportunity to make it as easy as possible for anyone who's a member of this movement, whether it's um, people inside of our team working on products or marketing or social media or an email macro or a website copy to anyone who raises their hand and says, I believe in Simon Sinek and I'm a part of the Y movement um, to make it as easy as possible for them to spread the gospel, uh, spread the message, live the message um, in a consistent way. That way we can, we can make a dent. Um, so that's the, that's the job is to ensure that our organization's most deeply held values and beliefs are, are clear, apparent, lived from the inside out, um, which is real fun as our, you know, I joined our company. I was the fourth person to join, join the, the team and we're now up to 25 plus. Um, that is so cool. Yeah. And, and, but it, it, it comes with its challenges because scale is messy. Mm. We're not designed for scale. So, Yeah. How do you tie language and its role in leadership? A great question. So um, it's, it's, it, it is the answer to scale. Uh, it's the reason why Simon 
has created new terminology. So the reason Simon created why, how, what is not only because it's simple, um, but when ideas are simple, they can be repeated. And when, when ideas are repeated, they can change the world. So, I mean, he literally spoke to as many people as he could, leaders, individuals, companies, you know, what's the most important thing? And they go mission, purpose, vision, brand, a raison d'etre, North Star. They'd use this different words to describe the same thing. And when he'd ask one or two levels deeper, what does that mean to you? They'd all say, well, it's why we do what we do or it's why we exist. So he said, great, can we call it the why? Um, the reason he Love uses it. just cause, what just cause is, is vision. But people bastardize the term so much that if I say vision and you say vision and somebody else says vision, and then the debate of, well, is it mission or vision or what comes first? It's like There's baggage, you right, in the word? Yeah. yeah. So he created a new term. Cool. Um, and just cause is... But it says uh, it. Even though it's, it's a new term, it does say it. Yeah. And so I, the, the, the role of language is, is language creates tribe and tribe creates change, right? A tribe is a group of people who believe in the same just cause, mm-hmm. right? It's not groupthink. You know, we want diversity. Um, but yeah, the, the role of language is, is uh, it's it scale. Because if, if I can say just cause and you can say just cause and we get it, well, then we can more quickly make progress. Um, it's also why, you know, the the universal value of a smile, right? You can go to a foreign place, not speak the language, and yet still communicate. Um, and I and I think it's it's scale. It's how to it's how to impact at scale. So um, the role of language can help us grow in scale, and it's also the language we choose matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big believer of affirmative language. So I'll, we will often communicate in the negative, what it isn't versus what it is. Uh, and it's more powerful to communicate what it is because we can move toward it rather than avoid something. It's, it's as simple as when you get on a, a plane or you talk to any customer service, it's please don't hesitate to ask us for help. Well, I, all I'm going to do is hesitate. Versus, please feel free. We're here to serve you. It's that simple. So, tell us what to look forward to from you. <laughs> Cute baby pick updates. Yeah, sure. What to look forward to from me? Um, you know, I would say that there are a lot of things in this world that are challenging or hard. Um, uh, but I, I will always strive to choose an optimistic perspective, um, that together, uh, sure. Oh, you there? I lost you there for a split second there. Yeah. Just that together we, we can be better. I mean, I, I find Mm. it funny. I think there's a, there's a hubris amongst humanity that we believe we're owners of this planet, but we're actually renters. Um, though we need to take ownership, uh, this earth is not for us. Mm. We are we are simply uh, tenants, um, and I think we could be doing a lot better of a job of being responsible tenants rather than being self-serving tenants. Um, but yeah, look forward to from me. Um, 
uh, always choosing to share and find an optimistic perspective. Um, and I'm really pumped for Simon's upcoming book and the, the things we're going to create to help uh, people lead in the infinite game. I'm excited about infinite game as well. T- uh, tell us about where we can find you. All the usual spots. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so feel free to check me out there, but yeah, Instagram, Twitter, start with why.com. Uh, I believe I'm the only Steven Shetletsky in the world. So if you Google my name, you will find me. Uh, amazing. Yeah. It, it, despite popular belief, Shetletsky is not like Smith in Poland. Um, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty uncommon last name. So, uh, yeah, you can find me in all the usual places, but, uh, I'm most active on, on LinkedIn and our, our website as well. What's your final request for us? How do we take what we just learned from you yeah. and put it into action? So there's so much we get wrong, and here's just one thing. There's an entire section in the bookstore called self-help. And the only thing that self-help helps is itself. Um, if it... If it worked, the industry would stop growing because someone would write a book that actually worked. And then it's like Bill Urey, William Urey, wrote a book called Get to Yes, Getting to Yes, Getting to Yes, which is like the Bible on effective mediation and negotiations. And no one's really written another one because you don't need to. Um, Mm. Instead of self-help, I and our team are big believers in help others. Right. Self-help is seven steps to earning a million dollars, 10 steps to lose those 10 pounds, you know. Um, But the most along with hope and and closely related to hope um, is accountability and relationships. Right. Like I could say to you right now, I'm going to go for a run tomorrow morning. I'm going to wake up really early before my three year old wakes up and I'm going to go for a run. The likelihood of that happening is really low. But if a friend, you, or my buddy Matt Todd, or Corey Chadwick says, I'll be there, 5.30, with my shorts on, I'm like, damn it, now I have to do it. <laughs> right? Um, it. Ain't no self-help. Better together. That. Better together. So, uh, you know, the, the African proverb of to go fast, go alone, to go far, go together. Go together. Mm-hmm. Um, right? Find people who who care about you more than you care about yourself sometimes. Um, and those are the people who will help you lead a life that you will be proud of. Steven, thank you so much. Your presence is super calm. Hmm. You're very concise and clear with your words. And you're incredibly thoughtful with what it is that you have to share in, in a way where it's, super punchy and super impactful so that we could actually like have it land for us in the way that you mean it. So I want to acknowledge you for the great care that you have taken in, in, in formulating just how how you present, how you speak, how you teach, because man, is it freaking nourishing. Cool. Thank you so much. And, you know, and, and, and with that, the whole infinite and finite, thing it's like with the infinite amount of content that we're bombarded with like it is it's really nice to have something that's like really nourishing like this Uh, thank you so thank you for that that means a lot man thanks so much and uh i love i love your your questions and introspection that was that was a that was a real treat
It's my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, dude. And we'll do let's do something again soon. Get get some of the some of the good good peeps together. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah. Awesome, man. All right, Steve. Cool. Thanks for this. Hope to be in touch. Enjoy your day, sir. Thanks, you too. Bye now. Bye bye.